Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Last week, we covered the disappearance of Maitrese Richardson. Today, we will look into the disappearance of up-and-coming actress Elaine Park, who also disappeared in the Dark Canyon without much of a trace. To this day, many family and friends of Elaine are hoping for a break in her case. And hopefully, with renewed public interest, we can finally get some answers. So grab your advice of choice. I will be thinking about knitting. My name is Sophia Talley, and this is True Crime and Knit. The beautiful and talented Elaine Park was born on September 26, 1996. She was raised by her mother, Susan Park, in La Crescenta, California. In high school, Elaine was a girl with many talents. She was a cheerleader and loved to be involved in school plays. She was also a talented dancer and danced for different companies and competed. She loved to act and perform. And so after high school, she became active in the Hollywood scene by auditioning to be on TV shows and movies. She appeared in small roles on Mad TV, ER, Desperate Housewives, Crazy Stupid Love, and Role Models. And even though these were small roles, I just want everyone to note that all of these shows and movies are household names. And that totally counts for something. Elaine was undoubtedly a talented actor. And she was trying to improve her talent by enrolling in L.A. Pierce College. Though Elaine and her mother Susan lived together, Susan later admits to journalist Neil Strauss, and this is a quote, we don't talk. She lives her own life. I live my own life in the same roof. End quote. Now, before I go on, I just want to let you know that Elaine's story was documented in season two of Neil's investigative journalism podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. Though Susan gave her first person account of the timeline of Elaine's story, currently, as of the recording of this podcast, there is this bizarre media war going between Susan, Neil Strauss, and The Local, The Voice of Malibu, which is an online news publication that specializes in exposés and unsolved cases. The drama is that Susan is disputing the claims that Neil made on the podcast, and she teamed up with the local Malibu to spread what she is claiming to be the truth. Because of all these discrepancies, I will only be reporting on the hard facts as of writing and recording this podcast. I have not listened to the Live and Die in LA podcast, just so that way I can go in with just the hard facts and um not already be swayed towards one way or another. But I will be quoting the timeline that Susan supplied to Live and Die LA podcast because these are her actual words that came out of her mouth. And everything else that I report, though, have been well-documented public knowledge. And as always, I list all my sources in the show notes. So let's get back to the story. 
So according to Susan, her and Elaine were not on the best terms. And I'm sure that this is a fact that just haunts Susan to this day. Elaine moved in with her mother after being laid off at her job at a restaurant and dropping out of Pierce College. Money was tight for the both of them, and they often fought over money. And it was a disagreement about money that Susan admits to being their last conversation. On January 26, 2017, at around 10 a.m., Susan says that she and her boyfriend, Jeff, found 20-year-old Elaine sitting in the living room, but she wasn't fully dressed yet, so she hurried off. Nothing was said between the two, as far as we know, and this was the last in-person interaction that Susan had with her daughter since. The next day on Friday, January 27th, Susan sends Elaine $20 over text with the understanding that Elaine will pay her back. They text back and forth that evening when Elaine still hadn't paid Susan back, with Elaine promising to return the money later on that night. That night, Elaine was with her on and off again boyfriend, Divine, also known as Div, Kampea, son of Shaquem Kampea, who co-founded Flavor Unit Entertainment with Queen Latifah in 1995. Yes, Queen Latifah found her way into this podcast. The company produces films and TV shows for big brands like Netflix, and Div and Elaine's relationship was rocky at best. They were on and off again, with Elaine breaking up with Div in hopes of bettering themselves separately and then meeting again. There are tech between Div and Elaine that were made public by Susan, in which the two refer to different party drugs, but in the era that we live in, text can easily be altered and forged, so I just don't feel comfortable stating that these screenshots of these text messages are fact, but I do want to note that in these text messages, their breakups seem amicable and their relationship seemed sweet and loving despite their recreational drug use. The relationship was off and on because it seemed as if Elaine was trying to better herself and improve herself as a person. So on Friday the 27th, Elaine was spending the night with her boyfriend Div at his home in Calabasas, California. They went to the movies and at 1 a.m. they took an Uber back to Div's place. At 4 a.m., Div claims that Elaine woke up crying, shaking, and singing, possibly suffering from a panic attack. And Div tried to comfort her and when she talked about leaving, he asked her to stay. At 6.05 a.m., surveillance footage catches Elaine calmly walking to her car. I found that some people were questioning what took two hours for her to leave. And as someone that suffers from panic attacks, I can tell you that sometimes they can paralyze you. And two hours can just go by super fast to the sufferer. Anyway, I'm just inserting my own personal experience here. But that was my first initial thought on what took her so long from the first signs of her panic attack to the surveillance footage of her leaving divs. At 10.41 a.m., Susan says that she texted Elaine to remind her about paying her back. She calls Elaine, but it goes straight to voicemail as if her phone was dead. Later that morning, Susan goes to Elaine's room to find that her bag and makeup were gone, and she shoots Elaine a Facebook message. 
On Sunday, January 29th, Susan still has not heard from Elaine. At this point, she considers filing a missing persons report, but she also wonders if Elaine just left on her own accord. On January 30th, Susan decides to file a missing persons report for her daughter Elaine. The police told Susan not to worry and that Elaine should pop up in a few days and how this is common occurrence with young adults and estranged parents. But still, it makes me sad that they did not start looking immediately. Just like with my Teresa's case, the police decided to wait. On February 1st, Susan leaves a note for Elaine at their home in a last-ditch effort to make contact with her daughter. At the time, she thought maybe, just possibly, Elaine had been home, but they just kept missing each other. The note that she left reads as follows, Elaine, as soon as you decide to come home and you are home, please let me know at your earliest. I am so worried. And she wrote so with five O's. I do love you, mom. On February 2nd, Elaine's 2015 Gray Honda Civic was found abandoned on the 26,000th block of Pacific Coast Highway. The car doors weren't locked. All of Elaine's personal belongings, including her backpack, her driver's license, laptop, and phone were left inside the car. And the keys were still in the ignition, but the car's battery was dead. And just quick note, she was already having battery issues with her car days prior to this. So this wasn't that unusual, but just her car battery was dead at the time. It was upon the discovery of Elaine's car that police began to suspect that Elaine's case may be more complex than they originally had thought. A search began immediately with police deploying dogs and divers because for those who are unfamiliar with the area, the Pacific Coast Highway follows the Pacific Ocean. So the water is right there, but nothing was found. No evidence of a body, no trail, nothing. There was no sign of foul play, no note, just nothing. It's just like she just vanished. And now we will take a break from this story for an intermission. So it is just me, myself, and I for this intermission, and I just want to talk to you guys about some things that have been popping up with my design business. So first of first, first and foremost, I am increasing the amount of designs that I do, and I'm decreasing the amount of other stuff that I do. So you won't see me do a lot of partnerships or a lot of sponsorships unless I already have a relationship with the company. And the reason why is that I really want to focus more on designing. It's just the part that I really, really love. I'm still going to teach at Vogue Knitting Live, but that's going to be it for where I teach. And I just decided to do that because it's just, it's, it's easier for me to focus on a few things than on a ton of things. As much as I love doing a ton of things, but the podcast has become a really big demanding baby. And I just want to make sure that the podcast stays high quality through it all. And I just don't want to skip 
on giving it the attention that it deserves. So also, I want my designs to be of high quality and I don't want it to not be at the highest quality that I can make it. So that's why I'm just splitting my efforts between these two projects. And then I'm going to teach occasionally like once a month or once every other month with Vogue Knitting Live. And so that's where I'm going to be at. And so with the design, I am currently hosting a test knit. It is amazeballs. Hi, testers. If you're listening, uh, you guys are amazing. And it's the test knit for the rainbow again. I'm going to show a photo of it because every time I hold something up, I, it's done like a mad dash and, and post-production or whatever or an editing to just like take out all that rustling sound it's very very time consuming so now i'm just going to show you a clear photo of everything that i'm talking about it's just easier faster and you can kind of see it better anyway so i'm working on a test net for the rainbow again and i'm super excited it's it's just a fun cardigan that is super easy to work and it's super easy to remember and it utilizes cheap yarn or scrap yarn and it's just very cozy and I cannot wait to wear this thing every day. I haven't been wearing it because it is hot. I know it's the end of September right now while I'm filming. It might be the first week of October when this goes out. But it is hot, guys, hot where I am. And I run hot. Ever since having a baby, I run at like 100 degrees all the time. So I can't wear the cardigan yet. I'm so jealous of all my friends who live in milder climates. Even my friends in like Southern California, they're able to wear like their sweaters already. And I'm just over here in a t-shirt and sweating in jeans and it's still too hot. So yeah, that's coming out. And then um, another thing I'm working on is my one of my biggest designs yet. So just for preference, preface here, I have a family pattern for a sweater that's coming out with my favorite girls at Neutrino. And Neutrino is an app and they specialize in charts. And so this design is heavily charted. It's a beautiful Gansey sweater and I absolutely love it. I want to do more family patterns and that one isn't released yet, but I can't wait for it to be released. You guys are going to love it. But I also want to do another one. And it's going to be a quarter zip. It's going to be a pullover. But it's not going to be that Gansey style um, with charts or anything like that. It's going to be a simple garter stitch yoke with some raised stimage, stimage stitches a la the, my scrapper cardigan that I love so much. It's very similar to that, only it is not scrappy. It's going to utilize marling different colors together. And so that way, if you're making a set for your family, you can kind of do matchy-matchy without it being too matchy. So my sweater is going to be like a pumpkin spice color. Bose is going to be like a cobalt blue. And then my husband's is going to be gray. And in his yoke is going to be gray and blue. And Bose yoke is going to be blue and gray. So what blue being a dominant. And mine's going to be, I don't know, maybe gray and pumpkin spice. I don't know. I'm still trying to think it up. I'm still trying to think of the colors rather because I'm looking at a color wheel and I'm trying to make everything look great for pictures. And when we go out together, I kind of want to look nice and I'm just super excited to get this knitting done and I love that it's garter because garter yokes go by so stinking fast and I love that it's a quarter zip that means my husband's actually going to wear it and I've never knitted a sweater for my husband before 
ever, I've never knitted a sweater for my husband. Not because I don't want to, just because, Lord, that's a lot of knitting and I'm tired. But what's great about the quarter zip is that it's flat. Half of the yoke is knit flat and garter. And then the other half is going to be knit in in the round and stockinette and then you go and you install the zipper. So that's what's really cool about it. I'm still debating whether or not I want to be a quarter zip or a half zip. I like the way quarter zips look. I feel like a half zip when you zip it all down, it looks kind of like unkempt and it falls off your shoulders and it looks sad. So um, it's most likely going to be a quarter zip. So I'm still working on all that. And it's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. I really hope you guys love it too. I hope to open testing for that in a few weeks. And so if you missed out on testing for my current rainbow again, you're going to have another chance soon to test for that family pattern. And what's also cool about this pattern is that I am redoing my family size chart. So I have a family size chart for my hats, which I already think slaps pretty well. So I'm keeping that as is, but trying to make my family sweater size chart better. I feel like it could be better. I'm trying to make it every time I have something, I try to make it better each time. And so it's not that there's anything wrong with it. It seemed to work just fine. It was tech edited and tested just fine. I just like to improve on things. I'm a little bit anal. So I've been going over, you know, different size charts for kids and tots and babies and trying to figure out what would work with how my knitters like things to fit. (laughs) You know, like back in the day, I feel like kids clothes were like a giant blocky thing. And now it's like a little bit different. And so I'm trying to like look at the old size charts and the new ones and look at the difference and see what I like. And it's just, it's just a lot, but it's worth it. I almost felt like going, you know what, this is just gonna be a woman's sweater, but I really want my husband to wear one. And I really want Bo to have another one because he already outgrew his from last year. And now he's a toddler, so he's going to be in toddler sizes for the next two years, hopefully. He's in 2T right now, so hopefully. So if if I make a 4T, it'll fit him, you know, decently, and then he can wear it for a couple of seasons, and it wouldn't expire so quickly, because now I just have this adorable, tiny, tiny, tiny pullover quarter zip thing sitting in my closet, and I don't know what I'm going to do with it, because... Laura knows I'm not gonna have another one for a very long time. (laughs) So I don't know what I'm just gonna have the cat wear it, I guess. Speaking of which, if you've been watching this, then you know that my cat's been with me the whole time. If you haven't been watching, just been listening, just know I've had a little floof next to me this whole time. And she's with me every time I record and she is my recording buddy. And that's it for the knitter mission. And let's get back to our story. and the police began to reconstruct Elaine's last known movements. This brought them to Div, who shared his account of Elaine having what looked to be a panic attack before leaving his home early that morning. The thing is, the actual surveillance footage just shows Elaine walking towards the car. You cannot see if she's actually got into the car or if she was the one that drove off. Technically, it could have been anyone in that car driving. Usually in cases like this, 
your first suspicion falls on the romantic partner. Div and Elaine's relationship was not perfect, and they both seem to be a negative influence on each other when it comes to partying and drugs. But partying and drugs just doesn't make a murderer. Police believe that Div is not a suspect, and I'm inclined to agree with them. Besides the fact that he has been completely cooperative and given police all the information that he knew, looking at the public available facts of the case, there also isn't any solid evidence or motive. The only thing going against them is that he was the last person known to seen Elaine. Police also note that there is no evidence of foul play or a struggle. Elaine's car was taken back to police headquarters for a thorough forensic examination and police just found nothing. It honestly looked like someone, maybe Elaine, just walked away from her car. In the end, due to lack of evidence, the police suggest that it is likely that Elaine just committed suicide as she did suffer from depression and the water was right there. They suspect that she could have just jumped in and by the time they looked for her and sent divers, she may have drifted Elsewhere, Jaden Brandt, a private investigator hired by Elaine's family, made this public statement. We firmly believe that Elaine did not commit suicide and she's not a runaway. It is our strong contention that Elaine is an involuntary missing person and that foul play is involved in her disappearance. End quote. Though volunteers continue to search for the up-and-coming starlet, it seems as if Elaine just disappeared without a trace. And now you might be wondering, how does Elaine's case connect to my Teresa's? Well, here's the thing. The police department that investigated Elaine's disappearance was the Lost Hills Sheriff Station, the same station that completely botched my Teresa's case 10 years prior. Remember, this is the same station that removed my Teresa's body before the coroner was ever able to see it. So the community already were not confident in the department's ability to handle the case. Also, Elaine's car and my Teresa's remains were found in the same area of Dark Canyon. But here's the kicker. From 2016 to 2018, there had been a string of shootings and one documented disappearance in the Dark Canyon area. Elaine went missing in 2017, right in the midst of this chaos. The target of the shootings would just be campers, many of which who were just turning in for the night. At first, the shootings weren't fatal until Tristan Boudet was shot and killed on a camping trip with his two daughters in 2018. The scary thing is, LASD knew about the shootings and literally did nothing until someone unfortunately died. One officer, Lieutenant James Royals, tried to have his superiors put a public warning about the shootings, but he was told that this was a problem for the state parks department. He asked LASD to put out a warning twice, 
And as a result, he was demoted and transferred to a station 80 miles from his home. So yes, this officer was disciplined for trying to warn the public about a mad shooter or shooters. And don't worry, because in 2019, he rightfully sued LASD and both parties settled out of court. But for two years, there were cases of civilians being shot at in their hammocks and in their vehicles. It was clear that this was a case of a lone shooter after a while because all the shootings happened in the early morning and the shooter used birdshot for each case. Birdshot, by the way, is a type of shotgun shell used for bird hunting. So it's not necessarily that efficient or the most used thing um, when shooting at people. So that was that stood out. The fact that he used birdshot. Boudet forced the police to finally find the shooter. It didn't even take them that long. The very next day after Tristan's death, police arrested 44-year-old Anthony Rauda a man who was living off the grid in Dark Canyon. Rauda was one of the 150 homeless people who called the hills their home. And though authorities knew that many of the homeless were literally wasting away in this very wild area, they were almost encouraged to do so as it kept them out of the more affluent neighborhoods. Rauda spent his adult life living off the grid and police found a gun that killed Tristan in his possession. He was charged with the murder of Tristan Boudet and the attempted murders of 10 other people between 2016 and 2018. The evidence is considered circumstantial at best, and many believe that he could have just been the police's scapegoat. The fact that they found Rauda so quickly only seems to support this claim. Also, we are still waiting on the results of that case due to COVID. Things have been pushed and put on hold. So he hasn't even went to trial yet. Some believe that Rauda may be behind the disappearance of Elaine. Her car was found in an area where Rauda was known to live in. And she was last seen in the early morning, which is around the time that he was active. Despite these similarities, there's just no hard evidence connecting Rauda to Elaine. And if Rauda was the shooter in all of the instances, then it is unlikely that he was also involved in Elaine's disappearance because when he shot at his victims, he shot at a distance and he wasn't known to enter the crime scene afterwards. This is noteworthy because Elaine's car was found pretty much undisturbed with no signs of struggle, no blood, nothing. When birdshot is fired, little pellets are sent flying everywhere because the bullet is filled with like little BBs almost. And these little pellets weren't found anywhere around Elaine's car. Rada also did not have a history of abducting his victims. And quite frankly, being a mastermind villain that is able to leave the crime scene without leaving DNA. Remember, they found the murder weapon still in his possession. He just also, I just don't see Rada as like this big criminal mastermind. I mean, when they found him, he was still holding the murder weapon, which 
is insane when you think about it. Because most of the times when you shoot at someone, there's a potential, you may have potentially killed or injured them. Then usually what the person would do, what the shooter would do is get rid of the weapon, get rid of the evidence. And he was still carrying it around like it was a normal day. And I just can't see someone like that who wasn't careful enough to get rid of the gun to leave the crime scene without any DNA. There wasn't any BBs anywhere. It just doesn't fit his M.O. I also want to know that there was another disappearance in the same area about a year after Elaine disappeared. In August 2018, Matthew Weaver Jr. was a 21-year-old living in Granada Hills, L.A. He worked on power lines and hoped to travel and see the world someday. On August 10th, Matthew sent a text to a friend saying that something crazy was going on and he wanted to talk. This is a quote, while I have the chance, end quote. So already that sounds troubling. And the text came from Santa Monica Mountains National Recreational Area. This was the last contact that anyone would have with Matthew. And this is particularly scary as the Charlie Project reports that Matthew was suffering from a concussion around this time and that this injury could affect his behavior. On August 11th, they found Matthew's silver BMW abandoned at the end of the trail off of Saddle Peak Road and Stunt Road. On August 12th, a witness called 911 after hearing screams of help coming from the same location that Matthew's car was found. First responders who the first responders who were called to the scene also heard the cries, but they couldn't find anyone in danger. Though Matthew was never seen or heard from again, his personal belongings were beginning to turn up. In their posting about Matthew's disappearance, the Charlie Project writes, In January 2019, hikers found the keys to the BMW on a hiking trail just 25 feet from where the vehicle had been found. Weaver's father found shreds of a torn white t-shirt. He thinks it was the one that Weaver was wearing. Someone else found a red LA Angels hat in Weaver's size, and his family thinks it is his, end quote. I bring up Matthew's story because there is a theory that his case may be connected to Elaine's and Mitrice's case because of the similarities. Some even believe that we will never find the reason for these three disappearances because of the way that Los Hills Police Department handled my Teresa's case. And I'm going to be honest here, Los Hills Police Department does not seem to be the deacon of stellar police work. And after doing research on all three of these disappearances, I can't help but wonder if the answer is as simple as crappy investigating. I know that my Teresa's investigation was investigated and the police department was not found at fault, but... If they were investigated on how they handled her body, as in the murder police moved her body, they would definitely be held at fault there. Um, the one thing that is keeping me from believing in the foul play theory for Elaine's case is that there was just no sign of a struggle. The cadaver dogs came up empty. It's just very hard to leave a crime scene without a trace of a struggle, especially in this day and age. 
Recently, after Elaine's story was told by Live and Die in LA podcast, the internet exploded with theories that Elaine's mother was behind her disappearance. This thought was fueled by the fact that the last text between mother and daughter were about Elaine not paying her mother back the $20 that she lent her, and people have been killed for much less. Also, Susan, Elaine's mother, made appearances on the podcast, and from what I read, she just doesn't have the best personality, to put it lightly. Listeners of the Live and Die in LA podcast found her money-hungry and deceitful, while Susan believes that the podcast purposefully made her look like a suspect for views. You might notice that I am not getting specific here because there is a lot of he says, she says here on both sides. And in the end, it is pretty irrelevant in the goal of finding Elaine as there is no solid evidence leaking Susan or anyone for that matter to her disappearance. And without a body, we are just left in this no man's land. And so that's the story of Elaine Park. If you're interested in hearing both sides of the story, Susan's and to live and die in LA podcasts story, I mean, side, I will put the links to both in the show notes so that way you can make your own judgment. Just be warned. It is quite a rabbit hole. Also, I mean, absolutely no, no disrespect to the live and die in LA podcast. It honestly sounds like an amazing and gripping show. I just wanted to compile all the information as it is important to understanding the case. Before I sign out, I'm going to give a quick description for Elaine and Matthew Weaver Jr., both of which are still considered missing. And there is a chance that they can be found. So Elaine Park was 20 at the age of her disappearance, but she's 25 now. She was last seen wearing a white sweatshirt, denim shorts, and possibly gray sweatpants. She suffers from depression. She is an Asian female with long brown hair down to her waist with blonde tips, so it's very pretty, with brown eyes, and she is of Korean descent. I'm going to put all this stuff in the show notes. Just in case you want to see her tattoos and to see what she looks like. And I don't think I mentioned it, but Elaine Park is 5'5 to 5'6 and 125 pounds. As for Matthew, he was 21 years old at the time of the disappearance and he will be 24 today. He's 5'9, 165 pounds. And he wore a plain black or white t-shirt, black Dickies pants, red shoes, and an L.A. Angels baseball cap. He is a Caucasian male, brown hair, brown eyes. And I'm going to put his photos as well and his missing persons profile in the show notes too. Anyway, my name is Sophia Talley and this was True Crime in Net. For more information, including show notes and sources, please visit thedrunkknitter.com slash truecrime. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.